Please be seated. We've just been singing, um, remembering that God is a God of compassion and that he calls us uh, to a lifestyle uh, that, that mirrors this and that takes it to the world. Um, I, I know that as we listen to Kieran now for the, the next while, uh, we'll, we'll have much to learn and much that will encourage us for lives of compassion. Kieran, uh, we look forward to hearing what God will say to us through you. It's wonderful to be back. I bring my warmest greetings to all of you from Asha in New Delhi. And uh, thank you, Christoph, and thank you all for welcoming me so warmly in your midst. Um, I was here a while ago, and I did meet some of you, and I'm sure there would be some new faces that I haven't seen before. Um, just to let you know that uh, as a young girl of 17 and just before that, God was really a mystery to me. And uh, I really didn't understand what his relevance was to my daily life. And I come from a Hindu family. I was taught in the Hindu ways. And I come from a Brahmin family, of, if any of you are at all familiar with the caste system in India. And when I was 17, uh, the Lord revealed himself to me in a marvelous way. And the beauty of his mystery was revealed to me in the incarnational Christ that you referred to a little while ago. And God showed me through Christ that he is awesome, that the immensity of his love is beyond our conception even, and that he is so well acquainted with everything about each one of us. He even knows the number of hairs on our head. These are details that even we are not interested in. And his goodness reaches out to all of us with great intensity. And uh, as Jesus wandered the Galilean countryside with no place to lay his head even, he was showing us through his life what God is like. He was showing us through his love, through his touch, and through his breath. And the poor were all around him the whole time. And he lived close to those who suffered. And he showed us another way to live, didn't he? And he demonstrated God's limitless love and forgiveness. And Christ said to me that I want to share my divine life with you because in me you live and move and have your being. And therefore, you will have the same divine capacity for love and compassion. And I will be able to radiate my warmth, my tenderness, my healing through you to others. I will enable you to see the sufferings of others and reach out to them. I will give you boundless energy to carry out your tasks. And it was in response to this call of Christ upon my life that I began my work in the slums of Delhi over 21 years ago. And as a pediatrician, I decided that I was going to dedicate my life to the children of Delhi slums. Just show you a few pictures to bring home to you the kind of poverty that I'm talking about, and also to give you an idea of what the work of Asha uh, is trying to achieve. Okay, it works, so. <laughs> This is a typical uh, Delhi slum. Four and a half people, a million people living uh, in Delhi live in these kind of conditions where they're really tense, stitched with rags, and uh, any pieces of cloth that people can find, 
uh, asbestos sheeting, waste material, cardboard, scrap. And uh, they're often located in terrible places, very polluted by the side of railway tracks, open drains, factories. Uh, these are the kind of places where you usually find slums. And then you might just find a short distance away uh, people living in very wealthy communities. There's no place to wash, there's no place to cook, there's no place to clean. There are no toilets, people just do whatever they can outside the little slum hut uh, that they uh, have. And uh, there are piles of garbage everywhere, as you can see, and uh, slum children, uh, in front of my very eyes, I've seen slum children picking up garbage and putting it in their mouths. I've even seen children uh, eat excrement in front of my eyes, especially when I started my work. And uh, you see all these pigs. It's very common for slum children's ears or fingers to be bitten by these pigs because they're all over the place. It's on the same patch of land that you have kids, you have adults, you have huge rats, you have flies, you have pigs, all of them sort of live together. And the, there's a lot of exploitation that goes on in slums. Uh, it's very common to see children being beaten and abused by the police, by other oppressive structures, the slum lords, the slum mafia. You see men being beaten and being uh, thrown into jail for having done nothing. And so the slum dwellers, who are actually one-third of uh, the population of uh, Delhi, are uh, really people who have been totally marginalized by the rest of society. And they really are faceless and voiceless. And when I went in first, they said to me that, you know, even God has forgotten us. But he hadn't, because it says in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 4, See my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I have put my spirit upon him. He will reveal justice to the nations of the world. He will be gentle. He will not break the bruised reed, nor quench the dimly burning flame. He will encourage the faint-hearted, those tempted to despair. He will see full justice given to all who have been wronged. He won't be satisfied until truth and righteousness prevail throughout the earth. When I started off, the slum dwellers had no access to health care of any sort. They had no access to doctors, no access to hospitals, uh, no access to medicines, and therefore they were at the mercy of quacks. But today, uh, among the 350,000 people that Asha looks after, they have health centers like these where they can get excellent quality health care. This is a group of women that is really thrilled because they've been able to obtain a tube well through negotiating with the authorities. And uh, in slums, just for one bucket of water, people sometimes uh, stand in long queues. At times when they go to wealthy neighborhoods, they, they are kicked, they are shoved, they are beaten. All sorts of indignities are suffered just for that one bucket of water. And uh, so what uh, Asha has done is helped women to get uh, organized so that they can uh, articulate their demands to the concerned authorities for the improvement of the slum environment. And so in Asha slums, there's uh, plenty of clean drinking water, be it piped water or be it uh, groundwater. And uh, so it's really wonderful to see how the slum women have been able to be at the forefront of change. This is just a closer look at the kind of housing that I was describing to you uh, earlier. And this next picture talks about how forced evictions are the order of the day. And uh, sometimes 
uh, people, the, the authorities without any warning would just come and bring bulldozers that will attack the slum from all directions. And before you know, the entire slum is raised to the ground. Uh, this demolition uh, uh, happened in the, in the year 2006. They even completely raised to the ground the Asha Center. And uh, slum dwellers ran helter-skelter. They picked up their, their little few utensils. They picked up a, a few clothes. Some of them couldn't pick up anything. And they just ran onto the main road because the bulldozers came from all sides. And then the few that were left and who weren't, le weren't leaving because they were attached to their homes, they'd been living there for over 20 years, uh, the slum was just set on fire so that they could leave. These are such heartbreaking situations. And the brutality is so relentless. And the oppressive structures are so huge that it can sometimes be so overwhelming to, to, to understand uh, God's justice in these situations. Uh, but my team and I ran from pillar to post, and we were able to reach the prime minister's office. We were able to reach members of parliament of the city of Delhi, of which there are seven. And we were able to help them get land in another location. And now, of course, uh, you can see how nicely they've made their homes. And uh, the amazing thing is that they get their dignity back. I mean, when they're living in a slum, they don't even have an address. The moment somebody asks them where they live, and if they say they live in so-and-so slum, that's the end, end of story. Nobody will even want to employ them or talk to them. And it's just remarkable how God intervenes when uh, injustice is done in this way to open doors. And I just want to read a verse here because it's not about God being neutral or God just being mildly upset by this, but that he gets really angry when this sort of injustice is something that is uh, uh, give, meted out to his people. In Isaiah chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, I'm reading, it says, The Lord stands up. He is the great prosecuting attorney. First to feel his wrath will be the elders and the princes, for they have defrauded the poor. How dare you grind my people in the dust like that? the Lord Almighty will demand of them. And so it demonstrates how angry he gets when this sort of injustice takes place. But on the other hand, uh, you see this colony, after some years of having intervened on behalf of these slum dwellers, uh, they live in nice houses and they've got electricity and roads and all the basic infrastructure, and now they even have the metro there. So when they first went in there, of course, it was a jungle because it was unplanned and there was no time. And we managed to get them land and they were really scared. How are they going to manage with their employment and other things? But now that you have the Delhi Metro there and the work is going on really fast because the Commonwealth Games are going to happen in October of this year. And so they're thrilled because all of a sudden the value of their properties has gone up and they're able to come into the city for work, for uh, you know, all of the other help that they need. And I honestly have to say to you that, of course, it requires a lot of uh, structural intervention. It requires uh, a lot of um, uh, negotiation and dialogue with authorities. There, there's a lot of very, very uh, strategic inter interventions that need to be done. But at the end of the day, it is really a wonderful uh, divine intervention because it says in uh, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 12, the Lord has promised this. It says the poor will live quietly and in peace and, be, and lie down in safety and no one will make them afraid. That is God's promise for the poor because it's so great and deep is his love for them that he will not stand to see injustice. He will always raise up people who will stand in the gap for them. I want to talk a little bit about this latest initiative that Asha has been so excited about, just come about in the last couple of years. This is a very common uh, picture that you see here, children not going to school, working in factories, cutting flip-flop straps like you see in this picture, selling newspapers at traffic lights, and not going to school. And because of that, 
Uh, it's very common for girls to get married quite early. There's a lot of discrimination because of lack of education. The fact that they're ignorant means that they suffer all kinds of human rights violations, all kinds of abuses, um, and, and huge amounts of discrimination just because they can be so easily uh, trampled upon because of lack of education. What Asha started doing in earlier years was helping slum children to get to school. And I'm happy to let you know that most of Asha's children go to school now. And uh, what is happening is that uh, the, uh, in the last uh, year, just in, in uh, July of 2009, we were able to send the very first group of slum children to university. And you can see this lovely picture of this girl. She comes from a very poor family. I think Ruth recognizes her. She's met her as well. And uh, she comes from a very poor family from a slum that uh, Methodi is involved in for the last so many years. And she's studying political science honors uh, in this college, which is under the University of Delhi. This is so exciting because these slum children do not have any role models of any kind. There's nobody they can look at and say, well, if so-and-so went to university, so can I. Uh, there's none of that there. There's financial obstacles are really real because they can't afford to pay fees. They don't even understand how to work the system. They don't even know how to fill up a simple application form. And so it's been so exciting to Asha that these children who had so much potential, who are as important as God's eyes as any one of us, you, we all have children and we know how, what our aspirations and dreams are for our kids. And today God has done this great work in their lives where they're actually going to university in spite of all the odds they've faced. And this is not happening with just one or two children, but this year we were able to send 176 children. This is the first structural intervention in the area of higher education that's ever happened in India. And I'm really thrilled that Gordon was there and Ruth was there. And from your church, uh, there was such a strong link, and uh, we were delighted that she could be there on that occasion. Uh, this is a recent development which I'm really thrilled about, and that is that because of this initial intervention, the education minister for the whole of India heard about it, and I had never met him before. And so he called me to meet him because he wanted to understand why and how this higher education initiative is actually happening in some of the poorest communities of our country. And he's the man that you see in this picture. And these people who are standing next to him are the very first batch of children that ever went to university. And he was so delighted and he was so passionate. He went to Harvard Law School and he really is a very good man. And um, the Lord has said to me that it's very important for me to bring these influential people into the slum so that they can see what's going on and, and get really envisioned and that there can be a really a heart of uh, uh, passion that develops in them for change, for national change, not for change only at a small level. And he's so excited that he's asked us to work in his constituency. He's asking us to work in the whole of India. So we said to him that there's a lot that we can do together. And to have him on our side just means that things will pick up a feverish pace. And they won't, you know, what you can do in maybe five years without his help, you may be able to do in one or two years with his help. Uh, this is uh, the wonderful celebration that we had on the 8th of August. I'm sure a lot of you prayed for what was going on. I mean, Ruth was there, and uh, we called it a celebration of learning. And that man in the white that you see is the Home Minister of India. And we were so privileged to have him as our chief guest. And you see all these lovely children standing there in red and black. Who could have thought that they are from a slum? Uh, and they were so excited and their parents were so proud when they came uh, to watch these children receive their scholarships and their certificates uh, at this uh, ceremony. And we had a lot of people from different parts of the world as well who flew in for this wonderful occasion. I just want to talk a little bit about uh, the whole financial inclusion work which is linked with education. 
Our slum community members have not been earning more than anywhere between 30 to say 100 pounds a month per family. That's the range. It just depends on uh, various factors. And uh, when I brought the finance minister of India, actually the same man was India's finance minister and then he became the home minister later. When I brought him to Asha uh, in the year uh, 2008, he was shocked to find that these slum dwellers don't even have bank accounts. And he said, are you kidding that I'm just 15 minutes away from here and there's this huge Ministry of Finance that looks after the whole country and 80% of our population is below the poverty line and not a single one of these has bank accounts. What are our banks doing? They should be uh, looking after them as good customers and helping them to understand what the banking systems are and how they can actually improve their lives through getting loans. And I said to him, I said, not a single slum dweller has ever been given a loan because banks don't trust them. They think they're dishonorable. They think they'll never return the money. And I said, give me a chance and I'll prove to you that they're honorable people and that they, they are well able to uh, come out of this poverty trap if given a chance. So what's happened is that as a result of this association, thousands of bank accounts have been opened. It was so hilarious because what happened was that before this, not a single slum bank would entertain even one slum dweller in its doors. They would just shoot them away because they thought they weren't good customers. And now because of that intervention, they were falling over each other trying to grab uh, customers to open bank accounts and I'm going like hold on you can't just you know throw yourself at slum dwellers you have to do it properly so it's just wonderful to see how people who were once marginalized and who had no voice are now linked with banks they're able to get credit they can uh, start their businesses they can expand existing businesses for example this boy uh, he uh, was earning very little and uh, he was given a loan to buy this large vehicle and he now has his own courier company and his income has gone up by 10 times and he's able to come out of his poverty he's able to help his uh, wife and children his children go to a good school now and it was amazing because we had the next round of loans just now on the 6th of january if some of you receive asha's emails you might have picked that up and this man was uh, he stood in front of hundreds of slum dwellers and with the home minister sitting on the dais and he told his story to everyone and he said that my life has been transformed. I'm so glad that Asha didn't come and give us food and blankets and uh, a few little goodies, uh, you know, to pacify us because of our poverty, but they were able to help us to be able to uh, stand on our feet and lead a life of dignity. And we'll always be grateful for the kind of help that we received from Asha. And this is just one example, but there are hundreds of people who are now getting loans and the most exciting part is that you can get a loan for higher education as well. So finances need no longer be an obstacle. And these are all large Indian banks, huge, uh, with a huge turnover, that they have a lot of money and they're also realizing that national wealth is increasing and you can actually be able to make money because they're good customers and the 99% repayment rate is actually really stun them all because you have uh, so many defaulters even in the corporate world people take millions of rupees and don't return it because so-and-so politician made a phone call to the bank manager and said you know forgive his loan or wait for some time and he'll give it back and the whole default thing is huge in the corporate world the women are holding their heads high there was a time when they had no voice at all nobody cared to know what the women felt and uh, they had no opinions and they had no role in the community. And uh, we read in 1 Samuel 2.8, and this verse has really come true in the lives of our slum women. And it's so marvelous to see the way the Lord lifts up each and every one of his creatures. It says he lifts the poor up from the dust, yes, from a pile of ashes, 
and he treats them as princes sitting in the seats of honor. And the poor have also begun to understand something of the kingdom of God in the slums. They understand that each one of them is created in the image of God. They possess a dignity, a worthiness that has been given to them by God himself. And God's justice and impartiality are consistently expressed in their lives. This is something they've experienced. And they also experience that God defends them when they are oppressed and exploited. And when they are treated with scorn, with exclusion and contempt. And we are all together also realizing that compassion and love is a fundamental thing. And it is not just about loving friends and hating enemies, but it's about loving our enemies. About pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation and not retaliation and revenge. And so as you can see, they joyfully worship the Lord. There are so many of them in different slums having prayer meetings. They come together, they worship the Lord and experience his forgiveness, his blessing, his healing, his restoration in their lives. Just a final thought that I'd like to leave you with. We have often uh, heard about God being a God of love, God being a God of compassion, of salvation, of mercy, but he's also equally a God of justice. My conclusion is that God loves justice. Justice is fundamental to the holiness of God. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 8, it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. He is a God who cares about the right exercise of power and authority. God himself is the ultimate power and authority in the universe, is he not? And so justice occurs when power and authority are exercised in conformity with his standards of holiness and moral excellence. God hates injustice and he does want it to stop. The use of power by the strong to abuse the weak, I think, strikes at the very core of his heart. And the thing is that the oppressors know full well that their preeminence depends on most people doing nothing. The sheer inertia and inaction of people makes them look much stronger, although they're not really much stronger. And when I began my work, I found myself immersed in the slum world of relentless oppression. And to be a witness of this God of justice seemed so overwhelming and sometimes totally seemed beyond my calling. But Jesus reminded me that he said before he departed from the earth that we will receive power, the power to be his witnesses in word and deed to the ends of the earth. I think we Christians can be a mighty, mighty force for love and justice in a world that can sometimes be so tiring and so despairing. The Lord bless you all. And uh, before I go to my seat, I just want to uh, say that there's this Asha leaflet. Uh, uh, it's wonderful. It talks about uh, the work of Asha. And uh, Gordon and Daphne are here. Uh, tonight. Uh, they are trustees of Friends of Asha, which is a separately registered organization here run by volunteers uh, in this country. And uh, he's here with the leafless. Gordon, would you like to just identify yourself? <laughs> and if you would like to uh, talk to him about the work, if you'd like to uh, know more, um, I'll be gone, but he lives very much here. He's not very far from here at all, and all his contact details are here. So I would like to just say, may the wonderful Lord give you his many blessings in the days to come, and I hope that uh, 
we will be able to see you out in Asha, uh, some of you, and uh, you will always be very, very welcome. I want to thank you for your generosity and for your prayers on behalf of Asha, Asha for which I am very, very grateful. <laughs>